lot of people search all of their lives to find the answer to these three questions. Number one, who am I? Number two, where am I going? What happens after this life? And number three, what am I supposed to do right now? What am I supposed to do while I'm living here? What is my purpose? The little letter of 1 Peter explores those questions. And if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> We're going to begin a series this morning in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be looking at it and... We might not look at every phrase and every verse, but we're going to give it, Peter a pretty thorough going over because this little letter is very useful for helping us figure out who we are and where we're going and ultimately what we're supposed to do while we live here. And it's also very helpful in helping us navigate waters that are becoming increasingly murky. And what I mean by that. 1 Peter helps us to understand how to live as a Christ follower in an ungodly world. Would you agree with me our world's becoming more ungodly? Would you agree with me things are getting worse? Would you also agree with me that we have an obligation as a Christian to live for Christ no matter what our world does? So how do we do that? What does that look like? 1 Peter is going to help explain some of that. Uh, this morning we're going to read the first 12 verses. We won't get that far this morning. We're going to get down maybe to about verse 5, but all of this is a unit, so I want to read 1 Peter 1, 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering, 
the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. Now, this is God's word. When we look at this, Peter starts with some introductory material, and, and that's where we will start. We understand that the very first phrase in this little letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. When Peter wrote this book, Peter did not in his mind think, I'm going to write a book of the Bible. Peter had no idea there was going to be a the Bible. Peter was very simply writing a letter to these Christians that had been scattered throughout what we would call today modern Turkey. Uh, he was writing a letter to them. He did not put the verses. He did not put the chapter uh, divisions in them. That was done by humans later on. I'm thankful for that. It's easy for me to say, turn to 1 Peter 5, verse 13. Much better than what it would be looked down at paragraph 185, word number 72. So I'm thankful for the divisions. Peter wrote one long letter. It's not that long, five chapters in our division. But in their day, in the first century, the author of the letter put his signature at the beginning. Now, when we get a letter, we don't get the... Y'all remember what we, when you get those in the mail back a long time ago in a different world, we'd get a letter from somebody, and if there wasn't a return address on the envelope, we'd have to... The first thing I would do, and you did too if you're honest, we'll flip it over to see who it came from, right? This makes a lot more sense to me. Put the name at the beginning, Peter. He's the author, but notice what it says about Peter. He says he's an apostle... Of Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say. Former apostle. Notice he doesn't say. Peter a restored. Apostle. Aren't you glad of that? What do you think of when you think of Peter? Peter. Other than Paul and Jesus. Peter may be one of the most recognized. Characters in the New Testament. He was. The person we would look at as. The spokesperson for the apostles. He. He was their leader. He was probably the oldest. Peter was probably the oldest. John was probably the youngest. But Peter, a lot of times he reminds me of me. He opens his mouth and changes feet. Uh, he was impulsive. Remember Peter denied the Lord? Uh, and then Peter was restored by the Lord. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't done with Peter? When Peter made that denial of the Lord, Jesus wasn't finished with him. Jesus restored him. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't deal, uh, doesn't focus on pasts, but he focuses on futures? Now, he deals with our past. He, we just celebrated communion, the fact that he paid a sacrifice to cover the sins of our past. But our who we are is not determined by our past. Amen? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle was one who was called to be an ambassador for someone. Paul said, or Peter said, now when we go through this, I'm going to call Peter Paul, and I'm going to say Paul's Peter. I know the difference. So if I say Paul when we say this, no, I mean Peter. So I'm going to make that disclaimer before we start this whole series, is, as I'll call Peter Paul before this is over with. Peter was what we would call one of the 12 apostles. 
That was a first century job. That, that, that job was closed at the end of the first century. However, can I tell you that as Christians, we've all, in a very real sense, called are called to be an apostle of Jesus. An apostle is simply a messenger, an ambassador that represents somebody else. And we are called to represent Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This book was probably written about somewhere between 30, uh, 62 and 64 A.D. We think Peter was crucified by Nero in around 68 uh, A.D. So this was probably written five years or so before Peter would die. Can I tell you this is a different Peter than the Peter you see at the Gospels? The Peter we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is a mature Peter when you read First and Second Peter. This is a Peter that has walked with Jesus, not just the three years on earth, but some 30 years longer. Uh, here's a question for you. If you were to see someone now that you graduated high school with, and for all of us that's been a little bit different of a length of time, but for every one of us it's been a minute, right? Are you different than the person that graduated high school? So, Peter, when we read this, understand this is the mature Peter. This is the Peter that has, has lived his life with Jesus. And notice his audience. He says, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Some translations read aliens. Some translations read strangers, pilgrims, foreigners, exiles. The picture that Peter is trying to present is the fact that these folks are away from home. These folks have been scattered for Christ's sake to take the gospel all over the world, but they're away from home. Thayer, in his di dictionary of Bible words, says this word alien or pilgrim or stranger is defined as one who comes from a foreign country into a city or land to reside there by the side of the natives. In other words, there are foreigners living alongside of the natives. I will give you a perfect example of that. When I was 21 years old, I went to a foreign country in Southern California. That, that was a foreign country to me. Now when I got there, this would have been in the mid-80s. When I got there, I when the plane touched down, I realized I wasn't in Tennessee anymore. Uh, when you look around our houses here, you see brick houses, you see you know farmhouses. Uh, back in, in the 80s, it would, it would have been aluminum siding, it's vinyl siding now. Uh, the clabber, you know, style farmhouses. You'll see there, out in Southern California when I landed, everything is made out of like stucco or adobe. And, and the roofs are like clay. Everything looked like a Taco Bell. Remember how the old, what the old Taco Bells looked like before they started modernizing? That's, that, it is Spanish architecture is what it is. But that's where, that's where the, you know, California got its start. So everything looked like a Taco Bell. So it looked different. Now, even in Nashville, now, 
And I could only imagine what California's like now, Southern California. But Nashville, you can drive a little ways out of Nashville, and you'll start seeing grass and farms and woods and creeks. One thing I noticed very quickly about Southern California is what you see is pavement and buildings. You go from one community right into the next community. Uh, you go from Irvine to uh, Lake Forest to Mission Viejo to El Toro. It just what, And you wouldn't know you had changed townships if you didn't see the sign when you came through. But even more than that, the, after I kind of got, okay, I see what everything looks like. And, and, and oh, by the way, California is the only place, Southern California, is the only place I've ever lived. Someone says, how far is it from point A to point B? It's measured in minutes, not miles. Because uh, it, it might only be a half a mile, but it might take you two hours to get there, depending on what time of day it is and where you're going. But once I kind of got all that in mind, everybody there talked funny. Uh, they, they, they talked really weird, and they must have thought that I talked really weird because I'd get invited to parties just they'd say, say something. You know, they, uh, they, they just wanted me to talk. And the point that I'm making is this. In a very real way, I was a foreigner living alongside of those that live there. And that's what Peter says these folks are. And by reference, so are we. We are Christ followers living in a world that dresses differently than us, that talks differently than us, that acts differently than us, that lives differently than us. We are living right alongside them. We too are exiles. We too are pilgrims. And so Peter, first of all, answers this question, who are we? Who are they and who are we? Look at verse 3. Blessed be the Lord, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who were these pilgrims? They were the elect of God. Who are we? We are the elect. We are the chosen of God. And all, why are you a Christian today? Do you know the answer to that? It's because of God's election, because of God's choosing, because of God's foreknowledge. God knew when he, before he said, let there be light, he knew those that were his children. And those who are not. The foreknowledge of the Father. God the Father is the master architect of our salvation. Notice the Trinity mentioned here. Uh, all three members of the Godhead are mentioned in this, this verse. Blessed be the God and Father. Uh, actually, uh, back at verse 2. I, I want to go back there. I got ahead of myself. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. God the Father is the master architect. God the Father is the one that came up with the plan of salvation. God the Father is the one that made the plan. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the sanctifying. The word sanctified means to be, uh, to be set apart, to be holy. The Holy Spirit does that. When... Uh, 
before you were saved, the Holy Spirit in your heart in some way that none of us can explain, the Holy Spirit communicated with your spirit and made you realize you were lost. Made you realize you were a sinner. Made you realize you needed a Savior. He convicted you of your sin. He convicted you of those things that you had done. And he convicted you of the fact that you needed a Savior. And so you were saved. You were brought into God's family through God's foreknowledge. His election, his choosing, the Holy Spirit works on your heart and continues to work on your heart. Continues to make you sanctified. Why? For obedience, verse 2 says. How can we obey the Lord? Not through our own doings. Here's a question. And nobody answered this out loud. This isn't a show of hands kind of thing. But how many of us are always obedient to the Lord and do what the Lord wants us to do? Uh, I, I can say I'm not. I want to be. But sometimes there's a fleshly person that still lives inside of me right now that he sometimes rears his ugly head up. And he does in your life too. And we do things that are contrary to God's will. The only way I can be obedient is through the help of the Holy Spirit. Through the help of God, right? So the Holy God the Father is the master architect. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the sanctifying, setting us apart, making us more like Jesus, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his blood, we celebrated it this morning in communion. Jesus' blood paid the price for our sins. See the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three Persons of the Godhead understand that they are all God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all three God, but they all three serve different functions. They all do different things. The Father's the master planner. The Spirit is the one that does the action inside of the human. And oh, by the way, creation in Genesis 1, it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was with that form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And then it says the Spirit of God moved across the waters. That Spirit there, it's capitalized in Scripture, that's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament phenomenon. The Holy Spirit's eternal, just like the Father and the Son. All three are God. All three are equal in their Godhood. But they have different functions. And the best way I can explain this, and it, it, it's a, when you try to use human uh, explanations to, to describe something divine, the illustration breaks down. I understand that, but it's the best I can do. Uh, there are three parts to an egg. There's a shell, an outer shell, there's a yolk, and there's a white. And without all three, you don't have a full, complete egg, right? Uh, the, the shell does one function, the white does a function, the yolk does a function. And similar, all of that, all three together make an egg. Uh, and now where this breaks down is 
Uh, I know today people, you can go and you can buy just egg whites, and you can buy just egg, I don't know if you can buy just egg shells or not. I guess somebody, I guess you could if you wanted to. But if you go to Food Saver and you say, I need an egg, they're going to give you an egg, right? That's what you're going to get. You're going to get a dozen or 18 or however many of those round things with the shell, the white, and the yellows. Well, that's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then he says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace is a Greek term. Peace is a Jewish term, shalom. He says, I don't only want you to have grace and peace. I want it to be multiplied. That's who we are. Verse 3, we are blessed by the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he's begotten us again. We've been born again. Who are we? We are exiles. We are pilgrims, we are aliens, we are strangers. We are Christ followers in a world of ungodly people. But the reason we are Christ followers is because we have been born again. We've been begotten again. Instead of being dead in our trespasses and sins, we've been made alive. We've been given a living hope. Do we realize that those who... Uh, Those who've been born again, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it says here, is the same power that saves us and makes us born again. We are given, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given new life. Really and truly, we're given spiritual life for the first time, right? Uh, we, are, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, we were walking, we were living, we were physical. But as far as our spirituality is concerned, we're dead until we're born again through Jesus Christ. So who am I? Who are they? They are born-again believers who were scattered away from their homeland, living next to ungodly people who were different from them physically and different from them spiritually. They were called to live godly lives in the middle of an ungodly culture. Does that sound familiar? Aren't we called to that? Aren't we called to live godly lives in an ungodly culture? God says that for them, they were God-chosen, blood-bought, blood-cleansed, called by Christ to live differently in this world in order to make disciples for Jesus Christ, right? They were called by Christ to live for Christ to make disciples for Christ. That's who they were. And that's who we are. And having said that, keep your finger here or put your bookmark here and go to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19, back in the Old Testament. You say, what in the world does 1 Kings have to do with 1 Peter? I'm going to bring that together here and try to illustrate this. It makes sense in my mind, so hopefully it will in yours by the time we get done. 1 Corinthians 19 and our first, see there I go with Corinthians again. I've been in Corinthians all day. 1 Kings 19. And to set the context for 1 Kings 19, in chapter 18, the prophet Elijah has just had the showdown with 
the uh, prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth on Mount Carmel, where God called down fire from heaven and destroyed all those prophets. Elijah's had a great victory. And in the beginning of chapter 19, Ahab tells his wife Jezebel, Ahab's the king, Jezebel's the queen, she's the boss. Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he, that's Elijah, rose, ran for his life, and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, left his servant there, and Elijah ends up in a cave. He ends up in a cave hiding for his life. Now, Elijah, the chapter before, had just had a great victory. God had shown his power in a mighty way through Elijah the prophet, this man. But when Elijah finds out that Jezebel says, as God is my witness, I'm going to kill him before the day's over with, he, he gets afraid and he's hiding. He ends up in a cave. And look down at verse 19, or 9 rather, verse 9 of chapter 19. He, that's Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, why are you here? Elijah, why are you hiding in a cave. Elijah, don't you know that I'm the same God that was with you on Mount Carmel? Don't you know that I have more power than Jezebel? Don't you know that I will take care of you? What are you doing here? You ought to be out there, not cowering in this cave. As we go back to 1 Peter, with that question in mind, what are you doing here? I believe God asks that question to an awful lot of Christians today. Because there's an awful lot of Christians that are so familiar with this world. We dress like the world, we look like the world, we act like the world. We want to be bad enough to be good, but we want to be good enough to go to heaven. And I believe sometimes God looks at the way we're dressed and he says, why are you dressed like that? When he hears the way we talk, why are you talking like that? Why are you telling jokes like that? Why are you using language like that? We go to parties, we do go have a big time. God's saying, what are you doing here? Just like he did with Elijah. You see, we're not so much different than these Bible folks. We too are called to live for God. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. If we've been saved, we've been called to live differently. We've been called to act differently. We've been called to talk differently. We've been called to dress differently. We've been called to give testimony of the Jesus Christ that's living in us. 
going to get serious real quick this morning. I've got a question. Whose light do people see shining through you? As Christians, we are called to let the light of Jesus shine through us, right? Remember we were in Sunday school, we sang that song, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan get out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine all the time. How bright is the light of Jesus shining through you? And notice I didn't say how, light is, how bright is your light shining. Because it doesn't matter how bright. Matter of fact, in order for Jesus' light to shine brightly, my light's got to be very dim. Remember what John the Baptist said? Jesus must increase, I must decrease. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, I said earlier that with the price of everything else going up, salvation still free. It is still free in one sense, but in one sense, true salvation costs you your life because you give your life to Jesus, right? Your life becomes his life. Your life becomes his life to shine through. We too are exiled strangers. Who are we? We are God-chosen, blood-bought, blood-cleansed, still being changed Christians. We're still being made more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's still working in our lives, called by Christ to live differently in this world, to make disciples for Christ. That's who we are. I don't care if you're a doctor, a lawyer, restaurant worker, school teacher, garbage collector, sewer worker, chaplain, yard mower, housewife, hairdresser. The list could go on. That part's irrelevant as long as we're glorifying God through what we're doing. The important thing is when you answer the question, who are you? You, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, all of us who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, we are part of God's family. We are blood-bought, blood-cleansed, God-called, Christ-called ambassadors for Him. That's who we are. Question number one is who we are. Question number two is where are we going? Verses four and five. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who am I? I'm a blood-bought part of God's family living as a, as a stranger in this world. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Because I'm going home. I'm going home. Scripture says it's reserved in heaven for you. Home is heaven. That's where we're headed. Life is a journey. Peter refers to our home going as our inheritance, our living hope. An inheritance is something that someone's heirs receive. God is our Father. We
We as Christians have been adopted into his family. And praise God, the law says adopted kids get the same thing biological kids get. Amen? Whatever God has, we have. We are his heirs. We have an inheritance. Notice before we describe this inheritance, in verse 3, that all of this, our being born again, our being called, our being elected, our getting an inheritance, all of this is according to what? God's mercy. Don't forget that. You were not saved because you were good looking. You are not saved. You are not part of God. God did not make you. God did not choose you to be part of his family because you're smart. You were not saved because you're strong. You were not saved because you were powerful. You and I, y'all, were sinners. That's who we are. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is our sin. Amen? We are saved because of God's mercy. Probably ought to just hush and go sit down after that. Right? I'm not. But I probably should. Because isn't that enough? It's his mercy that saves us, y'all. There's a difference in justice and mercy and grace. I don't know how old I was, but I probably was eight or nine years old, nine or ten. I was old enough to work in my grandfather's garden. And he told me to go hold the weeds out of the butter beans. And so I went to the shed and got the hoe. And I was mumbling the whole way because I didn't want to go weed the, hold the weeds out of the butter beans. And I hold up the weeds and I hold up the butter beans. I hold up the whole mess. The only thing that was in that garden was dirt when I got done with it. And then my grandfather came out. And uh, he said, boy, come with me. He said, get in the car. And he had that look, you know. That. And we lived four doors down from my house, so I figured he was going to get me in the car and he was going to take me to home, you know. I figured I was banned from his house like forever. And we drove by his house. And or by our house. Drove right on by it. I thought, man, he's going to go somewhere and hide the body. <laughs> he, 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 he just, he really is mad. And of all things, he said, boys, I'm going to teach you the difference in justice and mercy and grace. I said, okay. He said, uh, you deserve to be whipped for what you did. He said, you know you did wrong, didn't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, you did. He said, you deserve to be whipped. He said, I'm not going to whip you. You deserve to be whipped. He said, that's justice. He said, but I'm not going to whip you. He said, that's mercy. 
Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then of all places, he pulled into Baskin Robbins. And he says, we're going to get us an ice cream. And he said, son, that's grace. That's getting what you don't deserve. He said, you don't deserve an ice cream cone, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. You know, it's pretty bad when your grandfather's a better preacher than you are. But I've never forgotten that lesson. I've forgotten a lot. I can't even remember if I took my medicine this morning. But I remember the lesson my grandfather taught me about grace and mercy and forgiveness. Y'all, we're going home, but the only reason we're going home is because of God's mercy. Amen? It's not our doing. Well, what kind of inheritance are we going to receive? It's not just any old inheritance. back next week and you'll find out. That's where we will go next. Who are we? We are God-chosen, blood-bought, blood-cleansed, still being cleansed, Christ-followers. We're called by Christ to live differently in this world in order to make disciples for Christ. Boil all that down is we are chosen by God to be put into his family to show his love to everyone else. Everyone else can see him through us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for recording your words and your will and these books that we have a collection of that we call the Bible. We know that they, the Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years with about 40 different writers who had different jobs, who had different, lived at different times in different countries in different places. But they had something in common, Father. They were your children. And thank you for allowing those children of yours to write down your will so that we, your children could today, could see how we ought to live and navigate in a world that's becoming increasingly confusing, chaotic, and ungodly. Help us always to understand who we are in the middle of all of this. Help us not to get so caught up in what's going on in the world that we forget who we are and who we belong to. And I pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit living in us, we will let Jesus' light shine to a dark fairview so that others can see you living in us and they might want to be saved. Forgive us of our sins, Father. Give us boldness in Jesus' name. Amen.